was your age, I'd only just started masturbating. And I'd only just started ejaculating. Only little and barely a drop. I was worried that I had some kind of problem because at school, I'd heard all sorts of stories. Then one day, when my father had had a lot to drink, and my brothers were out, and he was sleeping in the bedroom, I crept inside, put my hand on his penis, and started stroking it until he ejaculated. The sheets were covered in sperm. I got scared and ran out. I'd never told anyone that before. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, how are you, Bartek? Good, Ryan. How are you? I am doing very well. I am here talking to you. So I am doing very well. Ah, on what show are we talking? Or is this just friendly conversation? Oh, ha ha ha. I love friends and I love talking we all about have nice movies. Hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we uh spin Polish, likingly, because we are always spitting and we are both Polish. And not secretly Irish people trying not to be Irish. And uh, we are doing our show Pictures Powwow, likingly because we love pictures and we love having a powwow about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the format in which we do that, and it is in the format within that format of recommendations of movies. Bartek, you recommended this week's movie of choice. Could you remind us all about the movie you have picked for us? My movie of decision this week was The Killing of a Sacred Deer from 2017, I believe. Yes, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, the director of The Favourite, which won Olivia Colman an Oscar after all of this time, and uh, The Lobster, where Colin Farrell decided to... I guess, team up with Yorgos for the first time, and I hope he works with them again. I like Colin Farrell and Yorgos working together. They, they, they have weird... I don't know, it's just weird. I like Colin Farrell being weird. This isn't Winter's Tale type of Colin Farrell, where he's like, look at me, I'm sexy boy who rides a unicorn or a Pegasus. <laughs> this is, I'm a weirdo who's weird, Colin Farrell. So we are talking about the killing of a sacred deer. If you have not seen the movie, we are going to be talking spoilers about the movie. We're going to analyze it, discuss it, uh, review it, whatever you want to call what we do. But if you have not seen it and you want to see it, Go off, go watch it, because we're going to talk about it. Bartek, why did you recommend this movie? I recommended this movie because it is a movie that I have seen, and I have to pick from my pool. Um, but it's also one that I remember was... Well, I said the word remember already, but it was quite memorable. Um, it was one that I've talked to you about a little bit. It was one that you haven't seen that I have, but you had a history with the director that... Mm-hmm. Even though I haven't checked out any of his other films yet, like... He sounds like a very interesting guy that makes mm-hmm. interesting, unique films. And I remember that this film was just very tonally striking. Yeah, very specific. Yeah. He makes very specific type of films with very specific performances and characters and dialogue and music and cinematography. It's very meticulously planned. And out of all of his films... This is the one that felt the most Kubrick to me. (laughs) So, yeah, that kind of feeling. The level of uh, dedication to the vision of the film is very Kubrickian, you could say. Right off the bat, how long has he been making films? I don't 
or no, I want to say from like mid to late 2000s. I haven't seen Dogtooth, which I think is his first movie. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one of the ones where when I watched The Lobster, it was often like, oh, and his other film, Dogtooth, is also very good. So I don't know necessarily how long he's been at it, but he's definitely been more noticeable since films like The Lobster and this, and then definitely The Favourite, which was far more of a crowd pleaser but still very odd still very odd um i remember you saying that was good i enjoyed it very much i haven't seen it again but i do own it so one day i'll watch it again uh Mm -hmm. but yeah you you saw this in the cinema with your mum yeah i did what did your mum think of it she also really liked it um this was an like a lot of the films that i've seen in the cinema with her this was one that i walked in knowing pretty much nothing about i was just Mm. like all right, let's let's jump in and see if I enjoy it. And yeah, it, the tone was unexpected. I mean, the mm. film literally begins with something unexpected and yes. you know, kind of squeaky. Squeaky. Mm. I find your mum so interesting because I've only met her a few times, and I get a very typical wholesome mum vibe. She comments on our page. She says random things that are very sweet. Mm. But she has a surprising, and she likes Prince, and she, you know, she she's very nice, and she likes Bollywood movies because they're very fun and their music's in them. And but uh, that doesn't, to me, communicate across the idea that she likes dark, twisted movies. But she does. She loves Terminator, which is like a fucked up, violent <laughs> movie. The the and film. She loves stuff like this, and. You said she liked Una as well, right? Uh, the Ben yeah, Anderson one. Yeah. These really surprisingly dark movies, but a movie like this and Una, I, I find surprising that your mum likes because they're very slow, methodical, and just downright just filled with like nihilistic dread. Mm. And I don't associate that with the image I have of your mum who's just like, but take your friend, right? He's the Polish one, right? Ooh, and yeah, like that yeah. kind of energy. I don't. Ass- I can't imagine her sitting down watching this movie and loving it. But apparently, she enjoyed it, and I find that interesting. I mean, what do you have to say about that? You know, your mum obviously mm. better than I do. Yeah. So, so growing up, she obviously taught me what the term film buff meant, mm-hmm. and she's always described herself as being a film buff. Um, so growing up, I thought like, okay, yeah, this, this is what a film buff is. But then as I've grown up and seen, you know, whether it's meeting you, other people like our friend Mm. Reese or, or people that create content on YouTube, I see that there's all sorts of different types of movie buffs. Mm. Like, I don't think she's the type that would watch like an obscure film. Yeah. This is one she has watched. This was one she has watched, but it was in cinemas, um, she'd seen advertisements for it somewhere online, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, That's Colin Farrell. Yeah, so so some of the, I think, a bit more high-profile recent mm. weird stuff she might have heard about a bit more than... You like know, Una? Like Una, exactly. <laughs> I think... <laughs> You're disproving yourself as you go along. It's like, no one fucking heard about Una, but you guys did somehow. She... That's an obscure movie that your mum just found. Yeah, I guess, you know what? Now that I'm mentioning it, yeah, the... <laughs> The types of weird films that I don't know anything about, uh, I usually see because she says, hey, I heard of this movie, do you want to see it with me? And I'm like, yep, I'm not going to look up anything about it. Yep. I remember one time we, this is a bit off topic, but I think it was at the same cinema as this and Una, um, her friend had a uh, 
mystery ticket screening yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've had those before, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where we went to a cinema and we didn't know what film we were going to watch and mm. I wasn't paying attention to the posters in the lobby and mm. and I don't think they were playing any trailers before it. Um, and the lady who was, like, emceeing the event at the beginning was like, all right, uh, today's film, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it is a film made for the 20th century woman. And I was like, oh, mm. okay, so I'm probably going to be a bit out of my element. But then, and everyone in the theatre, like, laughed at that. I was like, ooh, I think I'm not meant to be here. But then I realised the title of the film was 20th century women. I, I don't even know what that film is. <laughs> Maybe I'll recommend it sometime. Maybe you will. It's about women from the 20th century. Wonderful. So, talk about women from the 20th century. Nicole Kidman is one of the lead stars of this movie. Um, what do you think about Nicole Kidman as an actress in general? Do you have much of a familiarity with her? And what did you think of her in this? Because, to me, this is outside of her normal wheelhouse. Yeah, um... She's one of those actresses I'm aware of, but I don't necessarily think about too much. But then I realise that I've seen a fair number of things with her in it, even if I don't necessarily remember mm. her whole filmography. Like, mm. how many films have we done on the podcast that had her in it? Like, three or four? Yeah, yeah, but which? A lot of them on like... unappreciated masterpieces, even. Yeah, she's a, she's, a, she's a talented lady. Yeah, so this was another one where, like, oh, I forgot that she was the mum in this. And See, that's all I knew from you. Like, I already knew... Okay, so my history with this, obviously, I hadn't seen this movie before covering it, but I knew of it, and it was one that I was wanting to see, but it just never happened i did mm. see the lobster in cinema and it was like a few people in there and it seemed like we all really enjoyed the lobster it was a very good movie i really recommend the lobster uh and then i saw the favorite but this was the one that i just didn't see yeah, it was the one didn't in between have time or it just didn't seem that compelling enough because people talked about they're like it's really yeah it's really good but the hook of it didn't uh linger with me as much as the hook of the other two movies but for mm. some reason or another i did not did not see this movie all I knew was Colin Farrell was in it. That's all I kind of knew. I didn't really know the plot. I just knew Yorgos did it, and it's a far more serious movie. Because Wait, Lob- you only knew Colin Farrell was in it? But- I didn't know Nicole Kidman was in oh, it okay. until you came along. And you're like, Nicole Kidman's in this movie as the mum. And this is all I knew of your feelings of the movie for the last few years. Mm-hmm. And there are even episodes of this pod where this is exactly recorded. Sure. What is it? It's... A, like it's a really dark movie and you enjoyed it mm-hmm. and Nicole Kidman got naked in it those are the two facts you've told me about the movie right over yeah. the years okay yeah and that's all I knew so the whole time I'm watching it going so when Nicole's gonna get naked in it and then she does and it's kind of like nonchalant it's from a far away distance so I was like Okay, but, like, I brought um, Nicole up because, yeah, she's been on the pod a few times. We've covered many movies. She's in big movies, small movies. But I usually don't associate her with this type of role. But it seems like in her later half of her career, she's kind of been getting back into this because she kind of had a similar, like, she has done drama and stuff, but usually I associate her with just kind of general, like, nice movies where she plays the woman in the film because she's Nicole Kidman. (laughs) Yeah. But this reminds me of Eyes Wide Shut in a lot of ways, but 
Um, obviously, the Kubrick aspect of the filmmaking helps with that as well. And I was really just surprised to learn that she wanted to be in the movie, not he wanted her in the movie. Yeah, like she and someone else begged him to cast them or something. Y- you mean Alicia Silverstone? That's who's right, in yeah. the movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that was a, that was a fucking kick in the head as well. I didn't expect her to rock up, and I I, I immediately recognized her because she still looks the same as she did in Scooby Doo Two: Monsters <laughs> Unleashed. When I saw her name in the opening, I was like, Ryan's talked about this person. Was that the was yes. the bird feeding person? Yes, <laughs> Alicia Silverstone is infamous for feeding her child like she like a bird does with their babies, which is regurgitate into their mouths. <laughs> I was really shocked that she didn't do that for Colin in this movie either. Real bummer. It well, would have been try my tart. Well, she, didn't, <laughs> she didn't get up to the part where she could swallow his hands. No, no. So I really enjoyed this movie watching it. It's not my favorite. It's probably my least favorite Yorgos movie. But it's, that, not, it's not your the favorite. It's not my the favorite. I think I like the lobster more. I think to get into the plot of the movie, what would you describe the plot of this movie as? Um, the plot of this movie, as slow paced as it is, is essentially a. I guess a sort of revenge story where the antagonist is getting revenge on the protagonist. Yes. Um, but it's in a slightly ab- it's through abstract means, mm-hmm. and it's somewhat indirect because the protagonist is the one that has to take all the action. It feels like a very much like, and I think it is like a Greek, old school Greek tragedy, you know, yeah, parable type of some, deal. I think in the trivia it said something like someone killed Diana's deer and they had to kill their child or right. something. And the point, yeah, the the purpose, the movie is Colin Farrell's like a heart surgeon who was drunk, perhaps. Um, and killed this kid's dad in surgery. Did he actually? Probably. But there's a lot of ambiguity about that. Yeah. And the kid and him have a weird bond, friendship, companionship, blackmail. I don't uh, the, know. The key word is, is weird. This weird. film is very weird and unsettling and gives you tones of things mm. that aren't there. Like, part of it feels almost like a secret affair that they're having. Yes, and Colin Farrell lives the ideal life. He has the beautiful wife who wears the nice black dress that he likes. He has the daughter with the long hair who's getting good into her singing in the choir. He has the son who's a little bit rebellious. He has long hair, but overall, he's a good kid named Bob or Bobby. And... He lives that idyllic lifestyle. He's a heart surgeon. He's respected. He's giving speeches, but he has this shadow in his life. In which point, at one point, he was an alcoholic of some sort and probably caused this kid's dad their life. And now he feels um, he owes this kid something, whether it be watches or money or companionship. But at a certain point, Enough is enough. He needs to live his own life, Colin Farrell, and he needs to distance himself from this weirdo kid who's becoming more and more present in his life. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't want this kid around his kids. He doesn't want this kid around his wife. He doesn't want to be around this kid's mother, who's Alicia Silverstone. He doesn't want that. So at some point, he cuts the kid off, and the kid says, well, you knew this was going to happen. Your family's going to die now unless you decide to kill one of them and then it will all be even. Revenge for revenge's sake. You know, you killed someone in my family, now you have to kill someone in your own family to understand 
and how he does this, it's all abstract. Yep. The kid's magical. The kid has a thing where if you kill the kid, they all die. It's very abstract. It's and, very metaphorical, as the kid yeah. says. And as this was, this is actually kind of poignant. The fact that you described all of that fa- somewhat quickly and just like sticking to the points. Now imagine that for two hours is <laughs> is pretty much that kid's whole character. Like he's mm-hmm. very clearly this type of uh, autistic character in a way mm. who states things matter-of-factly when he talks about revenge. Mm. It's just like, this is the way it has to be. It's not yep. that I necessarily hate you or whatever. It's You just have to do this. This is justice. Yeah. This is, this is the closest form of justice I could determine. What I Why I didn't like this film as much as his other films that I have seen mm-hmm. is the film itself isn't as direct and as precise to what the point is as his other films and its own direction within the film. Like I said, he's got a very meticulous form of direction. He knows exactly what the dialogue needs to sound like. He knows exactly like the staccato it needs to hit. He knows what the shots have to look like. But this film in particular, in comparison to its own direction and just the other films I've seen of his, it felt like it took so long to get to where what the point of the movie was mm. and that in itself is deliberate it has a very meandering nightmarish kind of i'm in a weird fog of a of a world but these people don't feel real yeah yeah the people don't feel real which is very common for him as a filmmaker and in the lobster that felt far more natural of how unnatural these characters are. They don't don't really have names. This is like the hotel manager. This is the gardener. This is John C. Riley's character. They have that kind of, this is very, the whole world is feeling like that. But in this movie, it felt like this is our world, but these are just some weirdo characters that exist in our world. While in his other movies, it feels like the whole world is this weirdo, bizarro world that operates on this very specific type of logic and point. There's a very obvious point to the lobster. There's a very obvious point to the favorite. But in this, it takes quite a while to to get there. And that is enjoyable in itself. But uh, I got a little impatient at points. And I know the film's trying to test your patience. That's the point. But it did uh, impact my enjoyment of the movie a little too much, a little too often. Yeah, I, I, d- I especially noticed on this re-watching that... Um... The film was a lot more than I remembered of that. Like, mm. the characters are stiff the whole way through. They they feel almost like aliens pretending to be humans. Mm. And I, I had this thought that, like, oh, in another film, these kind of performances might be kind of considered, like, bad acting. Mm. But it is deliberate. All of this needs to exist to fulfill his, uh, his, his directorial intent, artistic mm. integrity. Um... But, yeah, there was this question of, like, is it too much, though? I don't think the acting and that stuff was too much. It was more the narrative construction of when the revenge finally happens. Mm. Because it actually takes quite a while for the revenge story to reveal itself. Yeah, the explanation of, like, what's going on, the thing even starting. The, yeah, that aspect is what I mean. Like, the point of the movie, we just said it's a revenge movie or whatever, but if you didn't know that, and I didn't know that fully... I walk into the movie and I'm just like, okay, it's just Colin Farrell hanging out, doing stuff. Nicole's there sometimes. The kids are characters that very generic, but they're there. Like, I thought the acting was great. Uh, I thought it, the de- it very deliberate. Mm-hmm. And in the later half of the movie, 
it's as if Nicole Kidman takes over as the main character, and it's like the blinders are off for her, and she becomes like a real person. Like mm. her performance becomes less the generic wife character, while Colin Farrell kind of sticks to being the no, I've got to be this, and he even he even he even cracks that facade, especially during the. Well, what what do I do? How do I solve this problem? Do you want pubes scene? And he's like throwing everything. That's where his character kind of breaks that facade. And they all kind of do. But her, out of the family members, she's kind of the one in the later half of the movie that's where like a, a switch has been flipped for her. And she becomes... Yeah, her full characterization style comes out. It's like she's woken up from the dream. She's no longer, we all have lovely hair. Yes, yes. <laughs> she's no longer the, I wish my... I wish the dress would go just below my knees type mm. of character. She becomes this fully enveloped character with wants, needs, desires, fears. She becomes a real person yeah. far more. And that worked for me. That stuff worked. It's just, I did wish that the film's pacing, specifically in what the point of the film could kind of get there a little quicker. Yeah, I, I remember the point in the film, it was around the time of what you're describing, Nicole Kidman being more characterised. Um, or developed. Uh, that was also the period of the film where the three family members were basically appealing to Colin Farrell in all these different ways so that, yeah. like, he wouldn't kill, kill them. them. <laughs> and that was, like, really interesting and sad, heartbreaking, yeah. heartwarming kind of thing. Like, yeah. the, the the son, I think, he kind of remains the most stiff, but the actions he takes are very, like, direct and understandable. Like, oh, I'm cutting my hair now. It's calling back to mm. earlier in the film where he was kind of blasé about, like, yeah, I'll cut it later. And it, it's it's very clear what his intent is. And even in the scene where someone does have to get killed, like, he's the one that's most afraid. Yes, he's a child. Uh, I liked uh, the my favourite moment... Uh, well, not my favourite moment, because I'm used to his films being also more comedic. The that Lobster was... is outright comedy, as well as The Favourite is also very funny, but this is the one where there is... It's not a comedy, it has its funny little moments. The delivery can be funny. Alicia Silverstone was very funny, but it's not a comedy like his other films, so that threw me off as well, because I was expecting it to be a little bit more comedic in tone but that's on me but when it was it really did hit the way that the lobster did my per my personal favorite is when you die can i have your mp3 player yeah a great moment from the daughter who i really did enjoy in this movie she was probably one of my absolute favorite characters in the film just yeah. because she kind of stayed at that at that note very well of being like really weird and really funny at the same time. Mm. Colin Farrell also did that I very thought, well. I thought you might like it. You like that kind of twisted, dark character that's, like, it's funny. Yeah. That that whole thing you're describing was something that has been on my mind ever since I told you about this film. Like, you very earnestly asked me, like, so was it funny? And I was mm. like, was it funny? Was I meant to be laughing throughout most of it? So that was one thing I was really keen mm. on. Like, is everything in this film meant to be, like, black comedy and... It, I think I laughed a little bit more than my first mm. viewing, but I yeah, I still don't think it's necessarily trying to be a comedy. No, out of, out of the films I've seen of his, it's definitely the most uh, strict kind of this isn't a funny thing. Yeah, dramatic uh, horror kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I should have picked this for Spooky Month. <laughs> uh, okay, I mean, the spookiness is Colin Farrell's beard. I was scared by it. I've never seen him with a beard like this before. There were many moments in which... Because of also the color palette of the movie, there's a very kind of washed out, yellowy tinge yeah, to it. Yeah, a bit of paleness. 
Um, there were many moments, and I think deliberate, where you had a faraway shot, and it just looked like you didn't have a mouth at all. It just looked like black. <laughs> Even in some of the close-ups, yeah, you couldn't really see his mouth until, like, he slightly opens his mouth, and there's, like, this little gap between facial hair. Oh, I thought you would have a good chuckle. There's a great moment in the movie in which there's a whole sequence of events that lead up to this, but... Uh, basically, uh, creepy kid who wants to fuck over Colin Farrell demands that he shows him his like armpit yeah, hair yeah, and all his that. Body his body hair, because he was told that he has like three times the amount, and he's very hairy. And I thought, yeah, he would be. Look at his beard; he's very hairy. But then he unbuttoned his shirt, and he didn't really have that much hair. And the kid commented, "It was not three times the amount." And I thought you would laugh because you're very hairy yourself. Yeah, yeah. When, you were thinking, "Oh, is he going to be as hairy as me?" When he first unbuttoned, it was like a sort of distant shot, and you couldn't mm. really see his, you know, chest and belly hair. And I was like, oh, then in close up, I was like, "Oh, this is a bit." Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the kid's like. Yeah, it is a bit. It's not that much. Like, and he's like, yeah, well, when you're older, yeah. hormones. Well, that, yeah, that's and that's his personality. Like, he was picking on the, or he was sticking to the idea of like, oh, it's three times as much. So that's what I'm expecting. Oh, it's not specifically three times as yeah, much. Yeah, he's very <laughs> detail orientated. That character. Mm. Um. So uh, overall, on the rewatch, how did it all hold up for you? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, but I did feel like you were describing there were some, I guess, pacing things. Like, I, I remembered, you know, the main points of the film, you know, the revenge, the the characters that he, the candidates for being killed mm-hmm. were going through all these, you know, changes. Mm-hmm. And I was waiting for all that to happen. I'm like, oh, yeah, they, they really take their time... Uh, establishing these characters and i i get that it's for a, a payoff later on where they start to change whether it's yeah. um well no they they all sort of become more assertive the women characters yeah um so i i do it, again it's a thing of like i appreciate the fact that it was building up to the conclusion but that last part of the film really was where it all kind of Everything that I remembered was happening, like, you know... The, it all the, came together. It all came together. He was appealing. The, there were the appeals. There was the fact that he... The violence. The violence. The fact that Colin Farrell went to the school to ask the principal or whoever it was, like, mm-hmm. which one do you like more? And it's like, Jesus Christ, this guy really is just kind of trying to dodge the, the pain that yeah. this situation is meant to give him. The horrific situation he has to decide for himself, yeah. And even though if we take Martin, the, the autistic kid, at his word, the... The, the antagonist at his word that it is Colin Farrell's fault even if you do that like the scene where he's crying because his son just cut mm. his hair and it's clear why he did it mm. you know I still felt really sorry for him yeah I felt just... see I felt conflicted about that because there were little moments where I felt sorry for Colin Farrell but overall I felt like Nicole Kidman mm. throughout the movie see she kind of hijacks the second half of the movie as the point of view protagonist character because she finds out what's going on and she's also very upset with him and I was upset with him at a certain point like I get it, it's a hard decision but because of the first half of the movie the way his character is he isn't likable I know yeah so I didn't feel for him and you're not supposed to really uh you're supposed to feel for her, I think, because at the end, also, it's like, this, you know, yeah, we, I don't know, I just, I felt sorry for Nicole Kidman, I felt like this was kind of her tragedy story because of the sins of her husband. I do agree, yeah. Fall but... upon her, and, like, she had to, like, morally degrade herself throughout the rest of the movie just because Colin Farrell couldn't tell the truth, um, come to terms with the truth, or at least 
say anything. Like, she had to give that guy a hand job, and you could tell she didn't want to, but it had to be done. She's like, it has to be done, attitude. And even though she had her moments where she was like, hey, you can't kill me, I mean... We can have other kids. I think that, I think we should kill one of the kids, not me. Yeah, you can't kill me. I mean, come on. And like that yeah. was selfish, but overall, I didn't really feel that bad for Colin Farrell. For, for me, it mainly was just the the crying scene because you know he'd spent this entire movie putting up this wall, this this mm. character, and then it just like breaks down, and you know you ca- you can't really see his eyes, and he's just mm. weeping. He can't help it. In that little moment, like I, you know, I gave it to him. He gave a great performance. I, I love Colin Farrell as an actor. Ever since In Bruges, he's really stepped up his game. Because remember the days he he was the pretty boy actor. Oh, he's got the he's got the hair. He's a pretty boy. We saw that in Winter's Tale. How they tried to recapture that. It just doesn't work, right? But when he does weird shit like this, he's really good at it he just has that expression not just on his face but his whole body just just he can really inhabit mm. a character really well like this and uh, yeah, more so than nicole kidman i'm not as familiar with colin farrell so when i think of him it is mainly from this yeah yeah and his eyebrows like when you mentioned impressive. when you mentioned winter's tale at the beginning of this episode i was like I was thinking the snowman for some reason, but mm-hmm. then I remember like, oh yeah, that was him, wasn't it? His main guy. Yeah. yeah. I like how movies also just accept his Irish. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I don't need him to pretend to be American. Although I did love his thicker Irish accent in Daredevil when he was bullseye and he killed a woman with a peanut shell and he's like, more peanuts? And he just says it so Irishly. I've, I can barely understand him. It is amazing. I like that this film is set in America, but most of the characters are and played American. by non-Americans. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful stuff. Yeah, I. so you're saying it feels like that you didn't enjoy it as much on the rewatch, but it's more like you appreciate it for the artwork it is, but you weren't as emotionally enthralled as maybe that first time, or the first time you don't know where the things are going. What's this going to lead towards? A part of the mystery thing has been unveiled now yeah, on the second I watch, so think... now you appreciate it more like this is a piece of art, but actually emotionally engaging with it may not have been the same as the first time. I think that's mostly correct. I do remember that the first half of the film, because the tone of that is mostly just awkwardness <laughs> yeah. and that was very prevalent mm-hmm. um he he really nailed it but it was yeah one tone that you were seeing there was just mm-hmm. like different shapes like you know oh we open with a a real heart surgery yes then he's talking about his watch then he meets with the kid and you have all those like is this an affair like is he fucking this kid on the side and all these kind of tones and then you have the family scene which (laughs) when i first watched the movie the line that really struck with me for the whole you know awkward tone is when he just casually brings up my daughter started menstruating oh oh yeah yeah (laughs) talking about awkwardness Talk about fucking awkwardness, and I, 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 this is actually a scene I had seen before out of context of just people saying, what the fuck, Colin Farrell, is the scene in which, for no reason, he's like, hey son, let's play a secret (laughs) telling game. (laughs) I forgot what the secret was, so when it happened, I was like, oh... And he's like, my secret is, at your age, I was getting into masturbation, but I could barely come a drop. So I tried it on my dad, who was asleep, drunk, drunk, being drunk, and he came everywhere. (laughs) 
And I, is that scene supposed to be funny? Because I laughed quite a lot because it was so awkward. I forgot all about that story. And then as you were describing, like, there was one scene I was remembering, like, oh, God, it's that, isn't it? Mm, yeah. I think one of the interesting things, having seen his work more so than you, is this film and The Lobster, less so with The Favourite, he falls into the trap of there are distinct halves of his movie. So the first half is very distinct of it's, this is the first half. Yeah. And then the second half is, this is where the thing, like very different halves. The lobster has that. It feels a little bit more deliberate, a little bit more obvious, you could say. Yeah. Because. You said that film's more natural feeling. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. It's it's more in line with what it wants to be more so, I guess. But, uh, the two halves in that are far more stark and contrast, and narratively that makes sense. I won't get into it, but narratively it's like Colin Farrell goes a place. Mm-hmm. Things are different at the place he goes to than the place he was at the beginning of the movie. Um, so he has that in him, and I felt that in this movie too. The favorite, not so much, but that one's kind of more like Quentin Tarantino, where it's broken up in lots of chapters. I remember, so... yeah, I'd heard a lot about that film, and only later did I discover, like, oh, it was directed by the Sacred Deer guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I uh, did thoroughly enjoy this. It was just a different experience than what I was expecting of it, and it was far more depressing. Um, the family getting ill, and the and it took so long too. I was like, okay, so the bleeding yeah. of the eyes are gonna happen soon, right? And it's like, no, it's like, how long in the real world did this take? It's like we days, weeks, I don't know. Like, did a really good job of that. Uh, like the disorientation of time. Um, the kid was weird. I did not like him. I did not like him. I wanted him out of my face every time. Him eating spaghetti was one of the grossest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And I did not want him to keep talking with the spaghetti stains on his face. Talking about how he figured out that everyone eats the spaghetti the same way. I wanted him to leave... I wanted him to leave, and I definitely wanted Colin him to Farrell leave. wanted him to leave as well. When he bit himself to demonstrate a point, and then spat out the bit of himself onto the floor, I definitely wanted him to leave then. But he was strapped down to a chair yeah, there, he couldn't. and I wanted Colin to hit him again. I really did not like him, but in the way the film needed me not to like him, which yeah. is always refreshing. He did a very great job of being an unlikable, weird little prick that I wanted to see get hurt. And you don't think it went too far at any point? No. Right, yeah. No, this film was, um, again, it was cruel to its characters in a way that made sense. Mm -hmm. And it fit with the overall goal and tone of the piece. I did not feel it stepped over the line. I felt, yep, this is very much the story. It feels like this needs to happen. Colin Farrell needs to get over his himself and make the decision. Um, and eventually he does in a really funny way. Mm. A really funny way. What do you think about that? How how his decision that is still I, like, I'm going to make it random. That I did remember. Yeah, just this ridiculous of... He's spinning in 360 degrees, <laughs> and, with, and he's randomly going to fire it. And it's not like his family members cover the majority of no. that circumference at all. So it's his third shot that finally kills someone, because he just keeps hitting other things. And... <laughs> <laughs> it was very funny. 
Yeah. But it's like the most dramatic scene in the movie where he kills his son, but it's done like it's the climax, yeah. humorously because he's wearing a beanie over his head, mm. um, spinning around <laughs> and learning that he has to lower the gun and stuff. Uh, very sick sense of humor is in the movie, but it's just not as prevalent as his other films. Um, yeah, The Killing of Sacred Deer, I like the cinematography quite a lot. I like the vacant space above their head. It really felt like the characters are really small in the frame, especially mm. lots of far away shots. It wasn't afraid of just doing long shots as well, of like Colin Farrell banging on a window, demanding things and stuff. It wasn't afraid just to let yeah, the scenes breathe. It also had some opposite of that like some extreme close-ups on things to make mm. it a bit more awkward there was one it was the 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 shot where he was showing his body hair mm. they were like awkwardly on the right edge of the frame yeah <laughs> just like what's going on you know usually i would hate that style of directing but it actually matches the tone and the piece unlike the king's speech where that has very similar like you you know what i'm talking about like it's been 10 years. Where, so, yeah. where Jeffrey Rush's head is like in the bottom right-hand corner of the frame. And it's just a giant wall there for no reason other than that director likes terrible-looking shots. Something like that, yeah. That's a guy made Cats. Just saying. 2019 Cats? 2019. Well, yeah. <laughs> the only Cats. Well, one won Best Picture and one had two characters in costume at the Oscars. So. There you go. So, he also did Les Mis, which also won... Oscars, I'm pretty sure. I think it did. I know Hugh Jackman was nominated for one. Um, we got told about that from one of the people who listened to our show, and I said in deception, oh, right. I said in our discussion of Hugh Jackman's deception that he's never been nominated for an Oscar, and then someone said, uh, "Excuse me, lame is," and I said, "Oh well, lame is sucks." Weren't they really like passive aggressive? They're very passive aggressive. <laughs> I made an error. I'm sorry. Was I that should in always deception? remember. Yeah, I should always. That feels like forever ago. That it's that like happened. a year ago, bro. Yeah. So, aka uh, one episode ago. Yeah. Uh, Killing a Sacred Deer, I don't know if there's much else I can really say about it, just other than it's very him, this director. It has the music, it has the editing, it has the actors, Colin Farrell, obviously, but just the very deliberate way that they speak, this very monotone, staccato delivery, um, things I've seen from him before, but this one is played far more straight and far more creepy. Uh, the Lobster has some creepy moments for sure, but overall it's very dark comedy sensibilities. So it's actually nice to see him stretch beyond the comedic tone and actually work towards a more serious tone. It shows to me as a filmmaker he has the ability to genuinely strike terror into the souls of his audience and not just rely on the dark humor sensibilities, which this film still had some of, but overall it was just in there. It wasn't the film itself. So I really enjoyed seeing this. It's, again, my least favorite of his work thus far, but overall one that has impressed me the most in a way because hmm. it is showing that he has the ability to move beyond the things I have seen of him, but it still has his staples. Like a lot of these auteur directors, it still has the classical music, still has these shots that he likes to use, it still has these type of stiff acting things because he has this whole entire ideology where dialogue is kind of just like rhythm in the music. It's not really important. He doesn't like his characters having 
backstories. He likes the characters mm-hmm. living in the present moment. So that's why they talk like that. Where we know from acting wise, you know, when you say your dialogue and, you know, you emphasize this, a lot of it is your character thinking and a lot of them internalizing, a lot of them drawing upon life experiences. Yeah. But he's like, no, 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 no. Just now. You're in the now. Just talk like now. And so that's why they also talk like that. Yeah, so. that is interesting when you consider like uh, the philosophy that we are who we are based on the memories we have. Yeah, and he wants that cut out of his characters and it adds a very <laughs> otherworldly nature to them. I'm sure he loved the beginning of Love Wedding Repeat. <laughs> Just explaining their backstories in very natural ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very natural ways. Um, anything else you want to say about this one? Um, I'll Just to finish the point I was saying earlier, the line that struck me the first time was that my daughter is menstruating, and then for the rewatch, uh, it was the we all have lovely hair line at the dinner where it just really established, like, oh, this is... His whole family is kind of like him. <laughs> yeah, they're very vacuous. Yeah. Uh, the daughter keeps losing MP3s. I really like the little touch that that you that things were wrong with the daughter when she's obviously hanging out with the kid Martin. Yeah. Um, and he's like, "Did you you, you like? Oh, you shouldn't ride on a motorcycle without a helmet." She's like, "I I I had a helmet." And then you cut to him outside, and you, if you're a keen-eyed viewer, you'll note that there is no helmet in sight mm. anywhere. And then later you see a shot of them riding together, and there's no helmet, yeah. and it's like she lied, which was very stark because she's been the good girl daughter who doesn't tell lies and loves hanging out with her dad and showing off her singing, like the typical good girl. And that was like the signs of, ooh, things are changing. Yeah, there were a few little things. Like the other one that I remember is, um, I think it was in the second scene where Colin Farrell and Martin were hanging out. Um, They talk about friends and how he says, Mm -hmm. uh, Martin says he doesn't need many friends, he just needs some good ones. And then way later in the film when Mm. the boy cut his hair, um, Colin Farrell's like, it's good to have lots of friends. It just shows like, okay, he's the opposite of the antagonist yeah yeah exactly you could say he's the real antagonist all along colin farrell in that boy's version of the film yes yeah well in our film too he's a bit of a bit of a shithead yeah have we mentioned the what the abstract thing in the film is in this episode yet you mean that the kid has the magic ability to make them fall ill and have paralysis and not want to eat (laughs) and bleed from their eyes and die yeah, and it's not explained. It doesn't need to be, does I know it? it. I know it doesn't need to be explained, but I don't think we mentioned it in this episode, and that's kind of an interesting thing about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very sad. You were waiting for that moment when it was going to happen to Cole Kidman, right? That was what I was doing. I was like, oh, when's she going to get it? For, and then yeah. it just never happened. For some reason, one of the things that I... And it, clearly I was misremembering was I thought she did bleed from her eyes at some point, but no, she... Well, that means that she would have to get paralysis and not want to eat at some point as well, which never happened. Yeah, that that was one thing that struck me. I really thought something did happen to her. No, but there was a possibility it could. Yeah. Instead, she was like, kill the kids and I'll wear your black dress and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and she also did that weird sex thing that they do, and he wasn't interested, in which she pretends to be like a corpse. Oh, yeah, whatever. General anest. She calls it general anesthetic. Yeah, because he's a surgeon. I don't like that. I really. (laughs) The film this reminded me of quite a lot, actually, which may be one worth checking out for 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 you is um. God, don't do this, Ryan. I know the film's name. I know the name. 
it's a David Cronenberg movie where Jeremy Irons plays twins. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck. I can't believe I've done this. How could you do this, Ryan? I can't believe you committed suicide. <laughs> um, man, I'll remember it at some point, but there's this David Cronenberg movie. Awkwardly edited into this Awkwardly episode. edited, where it's like, oh man, I can't remember double indemnity. <laughs> right? Um, man, fuck, I can't remember. Um, there's this David Cronenberg movie I would, I would recommend where Jeremy Irons plays these twin brothers who are world-famous, like, gynecologists mm-hmm. and gynecological surgeons and whatever, and they're very respected, but they form, like, this weird relationship because they're twins and they start swapping over each other's identities where the introverted one's going to be the date on this one's date because... So it's the, the parent trap. It's a parent trap, sort of, but it becomes really weird and sad and pathetic and they just descend into madness and it's just really sad and weird and the best thing in the movie is Jeremy Irons' performance as both of these. Like, you genuinely believe that he's two different people. But one of the, my favourite things is... One of them just goes kooky, and he decides he's going to make new medical instruments for gynecology, mm-hmm. and they're fucking scary-looking, like, shears and clippers and, like, mean-looking things. Yeah, things you'd want to put into a vagina, yeah. And everyone's like, Doctor, you can't use these. It's like, oh, I've been approved. And it just leads to horror. <laughs> it's just leading to horror immediately. Oh, Dead Ringers. That's the film's name. Dead Ringers, because they're dead ringers from one another. Um... Dead Ringers really it really reminded me of this movie in a lot of ways. Just the general kind of everything's normal-ish until it's not. Um, and it just descends into like sadness and patheticness. And just like by the end, you're like, oh, I just want to take a bath. <laughs> um, I recommend this, Killing of Sacred Deer. It was a, a good time watch with your grandma movie. Oh, yeah, double feature it with uh, The Nightingale. Oh, 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 triple it with Una. And, and Una. <laughs> and you know what? Throw in, um... Yiz- oh, uh, 20th Century Women? No, no. No, that film's Grubavitcha not. Grubavitcha or whatever. Oh, Grubavitcha, yeah. <laughs> Grubavitcha, someone's secret. Shh. <laughs> Quadruple Oh, Esma's fe- secret. Yeah, Esma's yeah. secret. Do all four in one go, and then draw yourself a really, really long bath. And you'll be happy. Mm. If if you take out Grubavitcha, you could um you could call it the the film's Bartek scene with his mum uh, playlist. Did you didn't see the Nightingale with your mum? Oh shit, you're right. I didn't. <laughs> Doesn't even make sense, Bartek. If we want to do that playlist, we'll have many more movies. Sorry, we I got add to I, the list. I got excited because you said Una. Una, Una. Um, you recommend this? I do. Yeah. Are you ready to hear my recommendation for next? episode i'm the readiest i've ever been are you sure yes can you handle it my daughter started menstruating i can do anything no i can't remember if you've seen this movie but we're gonna do a movie in black and white i can't watch it which we know a few people in our real life who say that there are only like two or three movies that should deserve being in black and white when they're in the era of color Mm -hmm. and we know one person who's who's like studied film who's like i never watch black and white movies because they're boring um, we're going to be watching Raging Bull, uh, the Martin Scorsese. Yeah, I saw that. Classic. I saw that when I was in the hospital recovering from my first surgery. There you go. Oh shit, I gave my backstory already. <laughs> you gave your backstory away. Um, don't worry, Bartek. 
I was nice enough not to mention on our episode that I lent you on DVD The Lobster. You never checked it out. Oh, yeah. We talked about that before the episode. And I'm very disappointed that you had the ability and you had it for months and months and months. And apparently your brother watched it with a group of his friends instead (laughs) and they enjoyed it. So if I ever see your brother again... I could talk to him about the lobster if he remembers it, which I would hope he would because it's a pretty memorable movie. It leaves mm. an impact. Uh, but yes, we'll be talking about Raging Bull next time, so make sure to watch that, Bartek. It's got your good pal Joe Pesci. Yeah, Pesci. From Home Alone fame. He was also in Goodfellas. Oh, yeah, well, obviously. Obviously, he was. I, I needed to let you know he was in your favorite film, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. The film. Wasn't he in the first one as well? well yeah, yeah. But, uh, you could say they're the same film, but like, we're going to go round and round in circles like we did the previous time where we talked about Home Alone. I know, but in Poland, the first film's like this sacred cow. I don't know about the second sacred one. Sacred deer? Sacred cow. You had no. You had the chance to say sacred deer. Though. Well, the sacred deer gets killed. The sacred cow is meant to be revered. Ah, oh, well, um, that's Home Alone Two. The sacred deer. The Polish title is Kevin Sam of Domu, which means Kevin is alone at home. Oh, really? It sounds like Kevin, son of Damu. And I'm like, who is Damu? And you're like, well, Damu is a famous Polish political figure. <laughs> I was going to say mythological, but political. Sure. Please, do Poland have mythological figures? I They're very political people. Mm. They're, dare I say fighters yeah they are uh so that's that you can follow us on the social medias of facebook and twitter spit and polish presents you can follow us on uh youtube you can email us at spit and polished at gmail.com with your questions queries concerns and recommendations for movies because it isn't just Bartek and myself doing the recommending you can recommend too and join the list of many things recommended my mum recommended a film. We haven't done it yet, but it's dark as well. What, what was the film? Rosemary's Baby. Oh, <laughs> Rosie's Baby. Of course. I couldn't remember if your mum recommended that or our good friend uh, from the Dirty Harry podcast. No, but it's his second favourite film. So, there you go. Yeah. We can do... Instead, we'll do Purple Rain. So, <laughs> until next time, listening people, remember that leather... Watch bands, wristbands are very, very, very good, but they're they're not as good as metal ones. They're not as expensive. They're not as expensive, and they're not as sturdy as a metal one. What's my one? Mine's rubber, I think. Oh boy. <laughs>